And fear is actually one of those things that we don't like. Fear is one of those things we try to avoid, and if not fear, how about this? Just the, uh, the possibility of us ever getting hurt. We are living in a safety crazy culture uh, where everything is reduced to will they be safe? Will my children be safe? Will I be safe? Is there any possibility um, that I, I could be hurt? I, I think it's kind of interesting that it's while at the same time that we're doing this um, incredible uh, kind of fear mongering trying to uh, drive us towards making sure that everything is as safe as possible is around the same time that we're actually also trying to live wild and crazy lives, shows that came out years ago like Fear Factor and things where it's like we want to try to be as dangerous as we can with all the safety gear manageable, right? I want to feel like I could hurt myself, but in the end, I want to make sure that nothing bad really could happen to me, right? It's just both and. And I guess I understand what that's like because we do that at church a lot, don't we? Like the church isn't a place where we should be afraid, right? Like church should be a place where we're all Safe, Like this has got to be one of the safest places in the world. Should anything ever happen in a church service um, where, where people are hurt? What is the most big? I can't believe it happened at a church. After all, of all the places in the world where someone would be safe, wouldn't it be church? That's how we talk. And yet when you're walking up to Mount Sinai in Exodus 19, it seems like fear is a natural response to the presence of God. I know that preachers have spent a lot of years trying to reduce God to a series of ideas or a series of propositional truths. We've tried to reduce them to some very loving and kind stories. Why? So that we could somehow domesticate the creator of the universe and make him safe. Oh, you don't like that version of God? Well, we can get rid of that. You, don't, you feel uncomfortable around that version of God? Well, then we can, we can change that. We can alter that. You don't understand. God is clearly safe. Let me ask you this question. When you look at the stories in the Bible, does God come across to you as safe? Definitely there are three occurrences that we repeatedly see in the Bible where it's not safe to somehow enter in or be surprised by the presence of God. There are three times in which we know that God is clearly not safe. One of them is when we show up in the presence of God on our own terms. One thing that the Bible likes to make very, very clear is the complete difference between God and us. And when we approach him, much like we would approach um, some kind of political power or some kind of king, there's just a healthy reverence. And we don't approach God on our own terms. We don't decide what it's going to be like and how this relationship is going to be, going to be managed from our perspective. And when we show up in the presence of God on our own terms, doing our own thing, that is usually when problems arise. The second thing that we see where there's some extreme danger is when we show up um, with selective obedience. When instead of following God and, and trying to be obedient to God, that what we are doing is picking and choosing what ideas of God or what um, commands from God we decide to hold on to or let go. And there's one thing that God, and I guess by the name God, by the, by the idea of he is the one who has designed all things and has made all things, for us to selectively choose those ideas about him or those commands from him, and these are the ones we're gonna hold on to and these are the ones that we're not going to hold on to, to walk into his presence like that just never goes well. 
And the third thing that we clearly see in the Bible that God is not pleased with, that God fights against, is unrepentant sin. A pride that wells up within us. And, and by the way, the pride doesn't have to be, I don't care. The pride can some sound, sometimes sound like this. I couldn't help it. I was so hurt I had to. Pride isn't just, I don't care what God thinks. Sometimes it's just assuming that because of the circumstances of life put you in this particular position, that the wrong things that you and I do, just out of our, sometimes our brokenness or our um, just kind of the, the, us being stretched to the limit, we think God would understand, right? And therefore, what's the purpose of going before him and asking him with a repentant heart and a repentant mind? Unrepentant sin is not a good thing to have in your heart or in your life as you approach the king of the universe. So there is a healthy fear, a reverent respect that we have for God or should have for God. These aren't going to appear on the slides, but let me just read to you just a series of verses from the Psalms. I know when we, many people go to the Psalms for comfort. You know, I'm having a rough time. I've got some enemies chasing me down. And I really need to have some words from the Lord that can provide comfort for me. Well, there are a number of verses that are actually found in the Psalms that provide a different kind of comfort, but the kind of comfort that comes from knowing the reality of who God is. Psalm 25, 14 says this, the friendship of the Lord is for those who fear him and he makes known to them his covenant. Psalm 33, eight says, let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. Transgression speaks to the wicked deep in his heart. There is no fear of God before his eyes. So those who have wicked hearts, those who are determined to, to live their life apart from God, they have no fear of him. That's Psalm 36, one. Psalm 111, verse 10 says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and all those who practice it have good understanding. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and all who practice it. Who practice what? Who practice fearing the Lord. How do you practice fearing the Lord? By reflecting on his greatness on the lack of your greatness or power or majesty, and in a healthy, humble way, respect the difference between God and you. Psalm 128 verse one says, blessed is everyone who fears the Lord, who walks in his ways. It seems like those passages and many others that as we uh, read through the Bible and as people encounter the reality and the fullness and the presence of God, when they are understanding who he is, that experience, although might be full of dread and fear, in the end provide great, provides great comfort. Because the fullness of God is not just the fact that he is so much greater and so much more powerful, but that in his greatness he dares to love and care for us. So I'm not here to preach one of those hellfire and brimstone sermons. But I do wanna just challenge you for a moment to think that in the times, moms and dads, that you have spent describing God, have you ever helped your children have a healthy, reverent fear in who, of who he is? 
as you share the gospel with those people around you, or do you find yourself mostly like a marketer who is trying to quickly sell something and therefore reducing the picture of God to those things which are most attractive to the modern mind and heart? Or do we begin to teach the fullness? Do we continue to teach the fullness of who he is? Because I guarantee you, if you were to um, be standing with the children of Israel as they uh, are getting ready to, to meet God at Mount Sinai, um, they, they are standing in the wake of a lot of destruction. If you were to ask the people of Egypt, hey, should Yahweh be feared? The answer would be yes. He should be feared. It, it seems like when he says, let my people go, it might be a good idea to do it. It seems like when God gives warning after warning after warning and you do not heed those warnings, it seems like at some time he actually means what he says. You can actually see from the stories that we see in the, in the book of Exodus, God not fooling around, God, be very, God being very specific and very intentional about protecting his name and protecting his people. And now all of a sudden the nation of Israel finds themselves in the, uh, in the very presence of God and instead of it being this, this, hey, isn't this great? Isn't this awesome? Isn't our God better than? And kind of running up and giving God some kind of a spiritual high five. In the end, they don't realize just what they have. And it's probably even better instead of asking the question what they have, but to just humbly realize like who has us? Who has called us? Who is redeeming us? Who is entering into our presence? One word that I would not use to describe the creator of the universe. And I, I use this words very specifically here. The Lord, L-O-R-D in the Bible actually is um, the, the way that the uh, Old Testament writers describe the name of God or kind of pen the actual name of God, Yahweh. L-O-R-D, all in capital letters, the Lord, Yahweh, isn't safe. It's just not a good word to describe him as. Let's look at the text. Exodus chapter 19, verses 5 through 14. Exodus chapter 19, verses 5 through 14. I think one of the reasons why the concept of God being safe is dangerous because it somehow puts the safety issue in our hands. Like we can manage our safety, right? Like if we just have enough precautions, if we just have enough devices to protect us, then maybe somehow we can keep God at a safe distance. We can somehow manage the risk. And those aren't true when you're dealing with the creator of the universe. So God is getting ready to reveal himself to his people through these covenantal laws that they're going to receive at Mount Sinai. Moses has already um, had one encounter with God. He's coming back and he's relating the information from God to the people. And in verse five, we see God speaking through Moses to the people. Now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice, obedience is a big part of what it means to fear the Lord. If you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. So obviously the, the terms that we have between God and his people are not for the people to manage and control, but for God to direct and to manage and to control. For God to reveal what this relationship is going to look like, not us. 
And these are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. Verse seven, so Moses came down, he called the elders of the people and he set before them all these words that the Lord, Yahweh, had commanded. And all the people answered together and said, all that Yahweh has spoken we will do. And Moses reported these words of the people to the Lord. And the Lord said to Moses, behold, I'm coming to you in a thick cloud that the people may hear when I speak to you and may also believe you forever. That they might recognize that God is using Moses as their ambassador. And God does this with a great, powerful show of strength and might Still in verse nine, and when Moses told the words of the people to the Lord, the Lord said to Moses, go to the people and consecrate them. That word there literally means to make holy, to set apart, because you don't just come into the presence of God on your own terms. This is why unrepentant sin is a dangerous uh, position or attitude to take before God. Consecrate, holy, separate, set apart. These are words that, de that, de that describe those things which in the presence of God are under his loving protection. And then those things that are not, safe is just not the right word. There are things that God embraces, things that God loves, things that God endorses. And then there are those things that God judges, those things that God breaks down, those things that God confronts. And before he meets these people, even his own people, he says, you will consecrate them today and tomorrow and let them wash, and let them wash their garments and be ready for the third day. For on the third day, the Lord Yahweh will come down from Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people. So his presence is coming. And then notice, well, that's great. We'll have a party. We'll invite him in. We'll get him a really big chair. Look at what he says in verse 12. And you shall set limits for the people all around saying, take care not to go up onto the mountain or to touch even the edge of it. Whoever touches the mountain shall be put to death. No hand shall touch him, but he shall be stoned or shot. Whether beast or man, he shall not live. When the trumpet sounds a long blast, they shall come up to the mountain. So Moses went from the mountain to the people and consecrated the people and they washed their garments. They are now prepared to meet him through um, following what God's commands specifically were. And now they're ready, now they're consecrated, now they are prepared to meet the presence of God. And so now does everything relax? Now all of a sudden are we allowed to be best buddies now? Or is it, can I just, oh daddy, run up into your lap. I mean, I know that's a picture of God that many people love to talk about and I get the attraction. I understand the value of realizing that there is a God that we can draw near to and the Bible describes him. But the Bible also describes a God that in his holiness and in his righteousness, that in his purity and in his just his natural splendor is so overwhelming that you and I would do better by having a reverent fear and an appreciation for the fullness of who he is. If I had to ask you, do you tend to take God lightly or do you tend to maybe overcomplicate or overestimate the greatness and the bigness of God? The majority of people that I meet with in the majority of circumstances that I have, it's not that I take God way too seriously. It's that in the end, I take him 
not as serious as I should. I, I don't have a, a healthy fear, a reverent awe, and, and it's very easy for me in those moments where I don't see the bigness of God for me to consider that my own sin and that my own rebellious and that my own disobedience isn't much of a big deal either. And the Bible just gives us a different way of looking at God and a different way of looking at our own lives and our own sin and our own rebellion. And which way should we look at it? The way that we choose to look at it? The way society chooses to describe God and picture God? Or the way, um, the way, the, way society or the way that the Bible does? And what we're looking at in this series, we want to look at God from a biblical perspective. We want to approach him in a biblical perspective and not the way that the world looks at him. And so after this encounter happens and God in all of his splendor comes upon the mountain, turn over to Exodus chapter 20 so you can see their ultimate response to this. And their ultimate response is like every other response that we actually see in the scriptures. One of absolute terror. Verse 18 of Exodus 20. Now when all the people saw the thunder and the flashes of lightning and the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking, the people were afraid and trembled. And they stood far off and said to Moses, you speak to us and we will listen, but do not let God speak to us lest we die. The encounter that they had somehow taught them that they could not stand under the full weight of God's voice and God's instructions. And they, they deduced this, we need someone to go before us. We need someone to go for us. We need someone to interpret, someone to lessen the fullness of who God is. And they asked Moses to be that person. They didn't want to die. Verse 20, and Moses said to the people, this is what I find very interesting. And there's a number of times in the Bible where people encounter the fullness of God and they're afraid. And then what's amazing is that when they don't need to be afraid, the first words of the angel or the messenger is, do not fear. Do not fear. And yet when people seem to not really care much about the presence of God, God comes to them and it's almost like you should be afraid. There is something about the posture that you and I take. Moses says to the people in verse 20, do not fear. For God has come to test you that the fear of him, okay, wait, 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 wait. Don't fear because God has come to test you that the fear of him may always be before you, that you may not sin. And the people stood far off while Moses drew near to the thick darkness where God was. Think about that statement, do not fear, for the Lord has come to test you that the fear of him may be before you, that you may not sin. God's encounter at Mount Sinai, which is part of a long string of God's interaction with his people, with humanity. And in this particular instance, what we see is that God is demonstrating a side of him that so often just goes unnoticed or neglected. The fullness of him, um, unfiltered, the fullness of God without any kind of mediator, without anyone to come and, and lessen the fullness of his expectation is too much for anyone to bear. And even the people themselves knew, you cannot give us God straight. 
Moses, why don't you go before him and then you be the one to speak to us because if we talk to God ourselves, we will not live. I also find it very interesting in this account that what God actually says is that I'm going to show you my power that you may not sin. Anybody know what it's like to just be afraid and just, man, I'm never doing that again, ever. I'm never doing that again. I'm, I learned my lesson, I am not doing that again. And then, what, three weeks, four weeks later, if you're lucky, you find yourself in the same habit, making the same willfully destructive decisions. What happened? Well, when we were afraid, I mean, when I'm afraid, and when I'm afraid of the consequences being right on top of me, well then, that is when I know how to be good. But when everything seems to relax, and when everything seems to be uh, operating at a different level, and there's no uh, more of a serious threat specifically against me, then my defenses go down and I go right back to my natural way of living. What I find to be very interesting is that if you just take this account in and of itself in the Bible, what we actually see is that God's fear um, infused into the people by the presence of God will definitely keep them afraid of him for a while, but it does not change their lives. Do you know that? The Bible doesn't describe the children of Israel after having this amazing encounter with him, all of a sudden living straight, living absolutely normal, living absolutely godly for the rest of their lives. It doesn't have them uh, always repentant and committing, uh, committing themselves to a humble obedience to God. They are gonna be constantly wrestling with and therefore constantly needing these fearful encounters in order to keep them on the road that is straight and narrow. And yet that's not the way that God designed it. So is God safe or is God not safe? And the answer to that question is God is not safe. He's, he's more than that. He is holy and righteous and powerful. He is just in his judgments and therefore sin is going to demand. Not, not just generic sin, your sin and my sin is actually going to demand a sacrifice, a right sacrifice, a perfect sacrifice because God is perfectly just in his actions. But God is not safe. Let me give you a bigger word to think about. God is not safe, but God is gracious. He's gracious is what he is. And by the way, that graciousness doesn't take away from his power and his might and his holiness. God doesn't give up holiness. God doesn't give up righteousness. God does not give up his justice. It is in his graciousness, but not generic graciousness. It is in his graciousness through Jesus Christ that you and I come to experience not a different side of God, but the fullness of him. See, the truth is that you and I all should have a healthier fear, a healthier respect for the person of God, for who he is, and for what he has done and the amazing difference between us and him. And I'm not saying that that's one side of him and then let's take a look at the other side of the coin. Let's look at the other side of God. No, let's look deeper into the fullness of who he is. 
That it is in his holiness and it is in his righteousness and it is in his divine expectation that what we find is that God, knowing that we are incapable of ever measuring up to what he expects and deserves, comes in and fills that gap for us. I I think that's why whenever in the New Testament when certain people encounter Jesus, they have very similar encounters than Old Testament people do with God. When people have an encounter with God in the Old Testament, they they become absolutely overwhelmed and think, wow, I should have died there. And we see very similar things happening. I mean, we we have these wonderful pictures of kids just kind of running up and sitting on Jesus' lap, and those are part of the equation, but you do realize there are other encounters where Jesus, after doing this amazing miracle in Peter's boat, which is now full of fish, Peter crawls on his face before Jesus and says, get away from me, for I am a sinner. And I'm unworthy to even be here. That's Jesus. You know that when Jesus encounters someone who is um, under demonic oppression, that that demon um, cowers and trembles in the presence of Jesus Christ. And I know it's taken from the Revelation, but, but listen, Jesus, in the picture that we see in Revelation chapter one, when he is trying to provide both strength and comfort to the disciple that he loved, John, he appears in his splendor, and John falls on his face as though dead. So it's not just God the Father that we're amazed by his holiness and righteousness. Those same attributes are seen in Jesus Christ as well. But God is gracious to us because of Jesus. God is gracious to us in Jesus. So not only do we have this healthy, this, this, this humble, this not prideful approaching God, but we actually have this wonderful, beautiful encounter with God through Jesus Christ so that you and I see God in his fullness. And this was God's plan from the very beginning. God didn't try the mountain and it didn't work. But God's plan was to at times reveal himself in his splendor, which looked like a Mount Sinai experience, but his ultimate plan was to always send his son Jesus to die in our place for our sins and that kind of consecration and that kind of washing your garments white is something that can only be done by God himself. Turn in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 10 and look how Jesus steps in and really answers a lot of the questions that we have in Exodus 19. I mean, I have that question. Wow, well, if, if that encounter doesn't help the children of Israel from living out their lives the way that they should, then what can? Should we scare people into, I mean, how many of you grew up back in the day or know those people who love to do that hellfire and brimstone preaching, Right? Like you knew you were being preached to because you walked out and you felt terrible, right? You just, man, now that's good preaching right there. I mean, he, he made me feel like this big. That guy's awesome. He's an amazing preacher. Yelled at us the whole time. I get it. The problem with that kind of preaching is not that it isn't true. The problem with that kind of preaching that just speaks about God's holiness and our brokenness, our sin, our wickedness, our rebellion, is that that's not the whole story. There's not a chance I'm leaving you in Exodus 19. That's not the whole story. 
Sure, those things are true about God and our own inability to keep up with his holy expectation, but that's not the whole story. The story finds its greatest meaning in Jesus Christ. And so I'm not saying, hey, listen, God has relaxed. And so I know that the Old Testament people were afraid, but now that Jesus has come, now we can come on our own terms. Now we can come and have unrepentant sin. Now we, no, 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 no. No, God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. What you and I have, what you and I have that the Old Testament saints did not have is Jesus. And that changes everything everything. Hebrews chapter 10 verse 19 puts it this way. And notice the difference. You have have the children of Israel afraid of having God come upon them. Verse 19 says, therefore brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus. So where do we get our confidence to enter into the presence of God? Is it by our own holiness? The answer is no. It is by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he has opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, that Jesus' flesh, that you and I just ate and drank, that when that was paid, now you and I have confidence to enter into the holy place of God. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart, one that's been changed by God's grace, and with full assurance of faith. See, this isn't a, I think that when Jesus Christ is gonna come back that maybe he'll like me. But when I believe and when I trust in what Jesus Christ has done for me, I have the full assurance of peace with God. Did you know that? That's what you have. If you have trusted Jesus with your sin problem before God, then you have full assurance of being in his presence without any kind of condemnation. Romans 8 says that. So notice how he continues on. With our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Therefore, let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting meeting together as the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you you see the day drawing near. So instead of it being a matter of we should scare one another more often, How many of you guys have ever heard of the, there was a famous, it might even still be going on around here, but um, it was a uh, kind of a thing that churches would have in their churches called Heaven's Gates, Hell's Flames. Anybody heard of that? Anybody been to that? Raise your hand if you've been to Heaven's Gates, Hell's Flames. Yeah. I mean, I remember, I was a pastor, and so, you know, I'd been preaching about Jesus, and that wasn't working, so I decided to get tickets for my neighbors and take them to that. Maybe we can scare them into the baptistry. And I thought, this will be great. You know, I mean, we can just, the whole way home, and I'm driving, I'll just, ah, you know, just, you know, I'm right there, that was it. You almost met him, you almost met Jesus. <laughs> you better be careful, you better be careful. It, what's amazing, though, is like when you're doing that with unbelievers, they don't say holy type things when you're scaring them, do they? <laughs> and it I wasn't that at all that helped my neighbors come to see Jesus and come to experience Jesus. Listen, God hits straight licks with crooked sticks. And so I was amazed at how that from that, that evening together, we were able to have some very helpful conversations. 
But that never sustains. Fear never sustains. And so notice what he says here. Listen, in light of what Jesus Christ has done for us, let us press on, let us encourage, let us confess, let us meet together, let us, this is what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. This is the path and the plan that God has for you. Not one that is based on fear, but one that is based on him. Romans chapter, or in Acts chapter nine, uh, there's, a, there's a very interesting verse that I've grown to find um, helpful in my own life. Acts nine, the church is being persecuted, particularly by one person named Saul. And it's in Acts nine where Saul is, uh, encounters Jesus in great power and he blinds, he blinds Saul, um, brings him to himself, and by the time the chapter is done, now all of a sudden, instead of Saul being a persecutor, now Paul is actually a preacher in the church. And he goes to one congregation, and they're all freaking out because isn't he the dangerous one? Barnabas is the one that kind of becomes that intermediary person, that, that person that's gonna bridge these two gaps. And, and Barnabas says, no, you don't understand, that's the old Saul, that's the one that we're afraid of. Now there's this new one, and we have actually a brotherhood with him. And after it describes this, this transformation in the midst of a very difficult time, Luke records this in Acts 9, verse 31. And so the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace, and was being built up, and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Spirit, it multiplied. Walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. See, some of you don't know what it's like to fear the Lord. Like you don't care, you don't think your sin's a big deal, you don't think you need to trust Jesus, you think you got it all and you don't have a healthy fear of the Lord. You know what I mean? And then some of you actually have a very healthy fear of the Lord. Like you're afraid of him. And that's all you have. And that won't save you either. You having a healthy respect, you having a holding God in awe. I would never actually use those words in church. I would never, and you have a list of rules. All you have is a healthy, maybe not even healthy, I'll take that back. All you have is a fear of God, and that's not his design for you either. What God desires for you is to find the peace that can only come through Jesus Christ that you can have a right fear of God and a comfort from his spirit. That's what those of us have who have found peace with God through Jesus Christ. Wow, isn't he holy and isn't he righteous and isn't he just and isn't he good that he paid for all of my sins through Jesus? Wow, you are bigger and greater and stronger and more powerful than I ever imagined. And in that power, you redeemed me. You are so good. That is who our God is. He is worthy of your fear. And he is also worthy of your love. Let's pray. God, we thank you for this time that we can come together and for the opportunity that we have to humbly come before you and to experience peace through Jesus 
And so God, help us come to that understanding that uh, we are not here to just tell horror stories or um, just describe you in this, these generic terms of how big and strong you are and you know what God can do. But that we would finish that story and do you know what God did in this act of love. May we live from there. It's not Mount Sinai, but it is Mount Calvary. Thank you for Jesus. It's in his name that we pray, amen.